Well, what's up, Substance? Who's excited to be in church this weekend? Hey, what a weekend it's gonna be. Wanna take a minute and welcome our online viewing family. So honored. Y'all, you made it to church today. I'm proud of you. So excited that you're here today. It's gonna be a great, great weekend in church. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Drew. I serve one of the, as the pastors on staff here. Typically, you can catch me at the downtown Minneapolis campus, but today our pastors are out serving the global church. We got Pastor Nate Puccini in South Africa preaching today, Pastors Peter and Kalen Haas in Houston. So I have the honor and privilege of standing behind this pulpit, and hopefully imparting some life and courage to our church today. I'm just so honored to be with you, man. Y'all, it's finally fall. Come on, somebody. It's gonna be an amazing fall. We made it through the summer. We have like six weeks to remind ourselves why we live in Minnesota before it gets dark and cold again, so live it up. And I gotta be honest, when it comes to fall, I'm like the most basic dude in the universe. I love fall. I'm wearing a flannel, I'm sweating, I don't care, right? Give, give me all the fall I can get, I love it. Give me my pumpkin spice latte with some pumpkin bread while I'm eating an apple bratwurst at the apple orchard. And I would like to apologize for absolutely none of that, right? I love the fall season. Football's back, leaves are changing, windows are open, school has started. Can I get an amen, parents? Let's go, school has started. It kind of feels like anything's possible. The fall really is a reset moment, a fresh start, a season of opportunity and possibility. And if you've been around these last few weeks at our church, you know we're right smack in the middle of a series about peace, finding peace. Anybody in church this weekend been helped by this series on finding peace? It's been amazing in my life, in my family's life. We've loved it so much. No matter where we find ourselves in life, I think we can all admit that we lose our peace more often than we would like to admit, right? I remember so my, my keys, I carry my keys around on this big long keychain here. And I'm the perfect height. Every once in a while, I'll walk past the door handle and this will get hooked in the door handle and I'll do one of these, you know, or, or this one time I was leaving the church, okay? And these got pulled out of my pocket as the door slammed behind me and I was locked out of the church without my keys. In that moment, my peace was gone. I was like, why do bad things happen to good people? Right, that, that's a frustrating moment in that moment. Or how about this? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my 15-year-old son, he walked upstairs in the morning, walked into our kitchen, and exclaimed loudly, oh my God. Now, if you're anyth your house is anything like mine, we are, try to be careful with how we use the name of God, okay? We try to be careful. God is holy. He is our salvation. He is our healer. So we try not to casually toss his name around when we're frustrated or surprised or angry. So here I am in this moment. My son has just said, oh my God, in front of all of his siblings, in front of his entire family. So I'm kind of like, What's going on? I'm starting to kind of lose my grip on parenting peace that I, I thought I had in that moment. So I said, dude, you know we don't use that name like that. We don't use God's name like that. He said, dad, I didn't. All of a sudden, my son has not only used the name of God, now he's a liar, right? Like, I heard you say it, dude, right? And so in my mind, my peace is quickly leaving, okay? My grip on reality is slowly slipping away. I'm thinking, it's over. I failed as a parent. He's gonna start dealing drugs. He's gonna drop out of school. He's gonna become a Packer fan. That one was for Pastor Chad right there, right? But I'm like, I'm like what is going on? I'm rehearsing worst case scenarios and my peace is all but gone, right? Then he looks at me and he smiles. So now, not only did he use God's name like that, 
right? He denied it by lying and now he's enjoying it? Like what is, all of a sudden I'm like, I, I thought I was raising a good, obedient, godly young man. Now he's basically a serial killer. Like, like I'm, I'm making some giant leaps here, right? I'm like, I failed as a parent. You're gonna see me on Parenting Fails on Netflix in spring 2024. I'm, gonna, I'm that parent now, I guess, okay? My son, my 15-year-old son, amazing kid, looks me, smiles, looks me right in the eye and says, Dad, I lifted weights yesterday. It was leg day. My quad is sore. I said, oh, my quad, because it hurt walking up the stairs. Oh, my quad. I was like, oh, I lost my peace for literally no reason, right? So we've been having a good time praying to quad the father of Jesus all week long in our house. It's been kind of a thing we've been tossing around, right? But, but here I was, losing my peace. My little parenting spiral gave way to some parenting pride. I was like, oh, my son's doing leg day. That's awesome, right? Let's all tell the truth. We all lose our peace way more often than we would like to admit, don't we? We do, right? So we've been talking about how can we then have the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our finances. And one of the anchor verses we've been using is found in John chapter 14, verse 27. It says this, okay? This is Jesus talking. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So there's this peace that the world can give us that Jesus is saying, hey, that's actually not peace at all. I have actual rest for your soul, peace for your life, okay? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And as we learned from our pastors way back in week one of the series, peace is not a set of circumstances, it's a position of our hearts. Okay? That's why Jesus could say this. Keep in mind, this is right before Jesus is gonna go to the cross, die a gruesome death, be buried and raised to life again. So this is a moment of tension, of conflict, of maybe some uncertainty and some fear. And Jesus chooses this moment to say, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got peace for your life. And I love that we see that in the life of Jesus, okay? But let's be honest again. When life gets busy or complex or just straight hard, it's really difficult to think straight, isn't it? It's hard to stay centered on God's peace and God's plan when things don't look the way we thought they would look. When we're scared or lonely or angry or frustrated, peace seems like the least viable option a lot of the time. In one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jesus' disciples found themselves in that exact spot when they were in a boat with Jesus sailing across a big lake. And the Bible says a, a windstorm swept up and was blowing the boat, that the, the waves were threatening to break over the side of the boat. You know what I call that? I call that no thanks, right? I'm a big guy, put me on solid ground. I don't need to be in a boat, don't need to be in a storm. I would rather be on cement. It's way more stable, right? But they're in this boat, Things are blowing, waves are breaking over the side of it. Disciples are kind of freaking out at this moment. They look over at Jesus and dude is asleep. Like straight up curled up, it says he was, his head was on a cushion, so he's comfy, taking a nap. Meanwhile, his disciples are like, we're gonna drown. And so they start panicking, like Jesus, wake up, man. Like don't you see what's happening right now? Look, we're about to die, man. What are you doing sleeping? And for some of you, I just defined your prayer life for the last six months. I just described your life circumstances that you're living in right now. God, don't you see me? Don't you, are you, are you sleeping? Where are you? 
I'm drowning over here. I'm dying. God, where are you? Don't you care? But don't mistake Jesus' sleeping that he doesn't care. Because look what he does. He wakes up all bleary-eyed, right? Where wipes his eyes, looks around, and says three words. Peace be still. And in a moment, everything quiets down. And I just happen to believe this is the kind of peace Jesus has available for us today. Maybe not as much in our circumstances, but certainly for that position of our hearts. So my prayer today is that we would learn how to experience the peace of God amidst the chaos and busyness and trauma of life. And to do that today, I wanna talk about a different story from the life of Jesus, but it's kind of equally unique and a little bit curious, okay? In John chapter one, Jesus is recruiting his leadership team. He's building his group of guys that are gonna travel the, the, the region and do ministry these next few years. He's building his discipleship team, okay? He's already called a few people. Peter, come follow me. I'm gonna make you fish a fisher of men, okay? He's called a guy named Philip, and then Philip runs off to get his brother Nathaniel, okay? So Phil brings Nate to meet Jesus, okay? And in verse 47, we see this introduction that they have, okay? It says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So keep in mind, Jesus has never met Nathanael before, but he already knows something about him somehow. Like, how does Jesus know this, okay? Now, if I'm Nate in that position, I'm shook. And look what he says. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, listen, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip came and got you. So something is going on here where Jesus knew ahead of time, he had been showed in some way that this guy, Nathaniel, is gonna come to you. Jesus saw him under a fig tree. And again, if I'm Nate in that position, y'all, I am shook. I'm like, how does he know? Who told him? I was actually under that fig tree. What is going on? And he was so shook, in fact, that in that moment, in that exact moment, Nathanael literally surrendered his life to Jesus. Look what he said, okay? Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are truly the king of all Israel, right? In that moment, Nathanael knew, man, Jesus is the one. I'm gonna follow him. He knew me before I even met him. I believe God wants to do something similar in us and through us. I fully believe today as we head into the chaos of the fall, as we go into tailgate Sunday next week, God wants to speak to you and me about people that are in our path, people that need a moment with God, people that need the grace of God in their life. You might be saying to yourself, well, sure, Drew, that's Jesus. Okay, of course he can see the future. Of course he knew Nathaniel ahead of time. But listen, don't forget the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in us. We have the same Spirit available to us all through the New Testament are examples of God speaking to his people about other people. He did it for Paul, he did it for Cornelius, he did it for Peter, and in every situation, people came to Christ, gave their life to him, had everything change in a moment because of a word God gave one of his people. He did it for them, he wants to do it for me, and you better believe he wants to do it for you. 
He wants to. I tell people all the time, I'm always telling our downtown pastoral staff, if God brings somebody to your mind, like an old friend, a family member, your barista at Starbucks, whoever it might be, always have a holy suspicion, God, are you up to something? God, why is this person coming to my mind? Because guess what? Most of the time, if not all the time, God is up to something. He loves orchestrating divine setups, but if we are not watching for them, we're gonna miss some miracles that God wants to do through our lives. So if we're opening ourselves up, God, would you speak to me? We're gonna watch him move in pretty incredible and profound ways. Reminds me, um, one of my favorite missionary stories, and my kids have heard this before. Um, David and Svea Flood in the 1920s were a Swedish missionary couple, amazing family. In the 20s, the floods moved to an area of Central Africa that's today called the Democratic Republic of Congo. And to this day today, one of the most remote and difficult places to, to live and exist in all of the world. So you can imagine in the 1920s, it was 10 times worse. Life expectancy in the low to mid 30s, okay? Diseases like malaria, smallpox, dysentery, not just for the Oregon Trail, y'all. They existed right in Africa at this time, okay? So David and Svea Flood were moving into this place with living conditions extremely difficult. The language barrier was a very real thing. But David and Sevilla and their two-year-old son, they committed themselves. We are dedicated to reaching the most hard-to-reach places and villages. They actually could have lived in the comfort of a missionary center, but they said, no, we're called. We're gonna go out. So literally, with their two-year-old son strapped to their back, they cut their way through the jungle with machetes to reach remote villages where the locals actually rejected them because they were so afraid of their local gods being upset or angry, they wouldn't even let them set foot inside the village. Think about that. You've traveled across countries and oceans and boats and planes, and you've hacked your way through the jungle, and they said, sorry, you can't stay here. So the village chief actually forced them to build an isolated mud hut about a half mile up a slope and live there. Can't come to the village, village can't come to you. And as missionaries, that's depressing. Because how are we supposed to tell people about Jesus when I can't talk to anybody? How am I supposed to bring Jesus to the village when we can't even set foot inside the village? Well, it turns out there was one villager who was allowed to visit them, a lowly young grocery boy who would come and sell them fruit. So they were hoping over time the village would soften, yet month after month after month, no change. So naturally, as we all would, they begin to, to question their call. God, did you really send us here? Is this really where we're supposed to be? Nothing is happening. We're living, it's basically the camping trip to Nowheresville. And if you're, if you're a camper, good for you. I am not, I'm a hotel guy, right? Like, I think camping is weird and dumb. It's like a whole lot of work to be uncomfortable and not really sleep well, right? If you're a camper, that's awesome. I don't mean to make fun of you. It's just not for me. I'm, I just like to sleep and be in air conditioning. That's just me, okay? So they're sleeping in this mud hut. It's not going well. So Svea has a thought. Well, I can't go to the village. I'll, I'll try to lead this grocery boy to Christ. And guess what? She did. Day after day, this grocery boy would come and sell fruit and would hear about this Jesus. And finally, he just said to himself, I wanna give my life to this Jesus, okay? It was amazing. Finally, some progress. Well, soon after that, Svea got pregnant which as you can imagine was probably pretty complicated in an isolated mud hut, right? That's, we won't go there, but it's probably pretty weird, okay? In that mud hut, she got pregnant. 
Uh, she actually got malaria during her pregnancy. It was so rough, but even so, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. They named her Aggie, right, amazing. But two weeks after that, she got even sicker and at 27 years old, passed away quietly in the middle of the night. So at this point, David is thinking to himself, God, where are you? Why is this happening? In fact, he snapped a little bit when he said, nothing is happening in our mission, right? We're miserable, we're suffering, and now my wife is gone. I'm out, I quit, I'm gone. So he dug a crude grave, buried his dear Sphia on the side of that hill, established a gravestone, hacked his way back through the jungle, back to the missionary center, his little baby girl, Aggie, he actually turned her over to a missionary couple, the Ericsons, that they were friends with. He couldn't bear the thought of being with this beautiful young baby who reminded him so much of his dear, sweet Sphia. He moved back to Sweden, walked away from his faith, and gave up on the call of God on his life in that moment, okay? Now, here's what gets a little crazy and a little more fun, okay? Well, little Aggie was actually adopted by that missionary couple, the Ericsons, who had just happened to be from South Dakota, moved back to South Dakota. In the 1940s, Aggie actually attended North Central University right here in downtown Minneapolis. It's not unlikely that at some point she found herself attending services at Historic Wesley, where our downtown campus actually is. That's amazing, I think. Her and her husband graduated, moved to Seattle to take over a Bible college, and get this. One day at their house, a Swedish missionary magazine, didn't know that was a thing, did you? A Swedish missionary magazine showed up in her mailbox. Now, she couldn't read any Swedish, but there was a picture in that magazine that caught her eye. It was of a gravestone. And on that gravestone, she saw the name Svea Flood. She said to herself, there's no way that's not my mom's gravestone. What is going on? So she ran to the university where she, uh, a Swedish friend of hers taught classes. Hey, would you translate this for me? So they read it together, and here's the deal. Sure enough, the article was about this legendary missionary couple who lived in a mud hut in the jungle and how they had led a little boy to Christ, how they had a baby, and the mom passed away. Well, it turned out that little African grocery boy who sold them fruit, he grew up, right? They grew up. And Aggie's like, well, how do they know my story? Well, that little boy started a Christian school, led all the kids to vi in, the, in, the, in the village to Christ, who in turn led all the parents in that place to Christ. Over 600 villagers gave their lives to God in that place. The chief himself gave his life to Christ. And then, as if that was not enough, began a revival in Africa and Zaire. Listen, over 110,000 believers baptized in that place, all because of what happened in that little mud hut. That's amazing. Amazing. It turns out, her parents were famous there. There were these legendary missionary couples, right? Her mom's grave was essentially a monument where people would come to visit and give glory to God for what had taken place. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, it's my belief that we all have grocery boys in our lives, don't we? All of us have divine connections that God has uniquely positioned to us to influence as a gift to them, but the catch is, they're really easy to take for granted. We miss them all the time. One of my absolute favorite Bible passages, I use this all the time, I love this, Acts 17, 26. This is amazing, you gotta catch this today, okay? From one man, God made all the nations. What that means, y'all, we're family. 
Every single one of us, crazy aunts, weird uncles, annoying little brothers and sisters, we all are family, which means we all take care of each other, amen? For they, that they would inhabit the whole earth and listen, listen, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He marked out your appointed time in history. He marked out the boundaries of your land. What that means is the mere fact that you are alive today, 2023, in the Twin Cities, in this room, is not a mistake. God has ordained that you would be alive right now. It's not a coincidence that you work where you work. It's not a coincidence that you attend school where you attend school. It's not an accident that you go to that coffee shop, whether it's Fragment or Caribou or Starbucks or Spy House, depending on what kind of person you are, right? It's not by mistake. It's not a mistake that you know who you know. It's not. It's not. With God, everything is intentional. Think about all the people that you interact with on a monthly basis, your job, your school, your gym, your hardware store. Think about your phone. We all have way too many contacts on our phone, don't we? Way too many people. But those are all people that God has placed in your life on purpose. Nothing is an accident. And I, I believe if we are willing to prayfully, prayerfully think about those people in our life regularly, God's probably going to give you a little nudge on at least a few of them. You're suddenly going to think, man, I, I should reach out to so-and-so. And you know what? You should. Right? Make it easy. Make it simple. Send a text. You don't, you don't have to say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Do you know our Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. Like you can say that if you want to, but make it easy. Hey, I was just thinking about you today. You just, God just brought you to my mind. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Could I pray for you today? As simple as that. If that feels natural to you, awesome. Hey, would you ever want to come to church with me? I'm a part of this really cool church. We're doing this crazy thing called Tailgate Sunday. We're all gonna wear jerseys and argue about which football team is best. It's gonna be amazing. Come on out with me. Our church is awesome, right? Just an, a simple invite, a simple prayer request. Maybe it's a Christian looking for a new church who got lost or hurt along the way. Maybe it's someone who has no relationship with God whatsoever. Sometimes it's just random people. Somebody on the street, your barista, whoever it might be, the Lord will put them on your heart and he will speak to you about this. I believe that. Look what happens in Acts chapter 14. Okay? Paul's doing ministry in Lystra. It says, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. So think about this guy. From birth, he had never walked, always been stuck, right? Probably always asking God, can you even use me? I can't move, I'm stuck. In that day and age, he would have actually been considered cursed, God could never, you're actually paying for some sins in a previous life, okay? He listened to Paul as he was speaking and Paul looked directly at him. I love that. Paul, his eye contact, looked directly at him, okay? And saw that he had faith to be healed and he called out, stand up on your feet. And he did. For the first time in his life, he received a miracle from God. How cool would that be to witness? It'd be so cool to watch somebody get that miracle placed in their life. It was all because Paul saw something in that guy. He has faith. And I would love to know, what did that look like? Like, how did Paul know that this guy had faith to be healed in that moment? Either visibly or intuitively, Paul got some kind of divine nudge from God. And I believe the same thing is true with us in our day-to-day -day life. We have to pay attention 
to those divine nudges and divine chemistry, people that are in our path. Most people, even non-Christians, are open to a conversation. They're open to prayer. What's the worst that could happen? They're encouraged a little bit. I'm so sorry, right? What's the best that can happen? Somebody has an encounter with God in a moment that changes everything. We have that ability through the Holy Spirit, y'all. We do. And the best part about this, we can invite, we can text, and if they don't receive it, if they say no, cool. Don't force it. Let it be. You are not the Savior of the world. That's the best news ever. But we do have a responsibility to nudge people towards the Savior of the world. We plant, right? We water. We're always planting seed. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul, Paul speaking. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God makes it grow. I plant. I can water. I can encourage, I can reach out, but ultimately, I can't make it grow, only God can, okay? So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is really anything, okay? But only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So there are rewards in heaven and on earth for being willing to sow seeds and be connected, and give life to people around you. There are rewards for that, but ultimately only God can make those seeds grow. And that's really good news. So all we need to do is sow. So my question for many of us today is this. How much seed do you have in the ground right now? Look at your life, your gym, your hardware store, where you go every single day. How much seed do you have in the ground right now? And honestly, if your answer is not quite what you would like it to be, Let's make it different this fall, y'all. Let's make it different this week. Let's make it different this month. Let's get seed in the ground. Let's water it. Let's watch God work. Let's get practical about this, okay? Really quickly, just think about it. Actually think about all the people you encounter on a regular basis. Mentally walk through your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday. Every single day there are people in your path that God has placed there. I wanna encourage you and even challenge some of us Take some time today and actually write those names down. If you don't know their name, just say barista. Just say checkout boy, right? Write them down, okay? Think about your list. We call this list your extended family. Like I said, we're all family, okay? People that are in your unique sphere of influence. People that only you are the, maybe the only source of Christian life in their circle. Okay, who are those people? So it's really fun, okay? I believe that maybe we're not called to reach that entire list, but in different seasons, God has uniquely anointed you to probably reach two or three of them. So pay attention. Who do you have divine chemistry with? Who have you had a good time building a relationship with? Who can you invest in and serve and build equity with and create a strategy? Say, I love you. I want to add value to your life. And I want to invite you into the life that God is living through me. Right? Invest. Get practical, right? Specific people at a specific time. Don't get me wrong. We're called to show God's love to everybody, but I do believe he anoints us for specific people at specific times, okay? So the question is this. How much seed do I have in the ground? And let's come back to our topic today, peace and the pain, especially when things are hard. Because if we're honest, as what happened with David Flood when he defaulted on his call, right? The call of God on his life. When things get hard or difficult, what happens often is we get triggered and we get insecure. And ultimately, we can kind of pull back from the mission of God in our lives. We can 
isolate ourselves from those relationships rather than lean in in a difficult season and say, God, I want you to use me even though I don't feel like it right now. I feel a little out of sorts. I'm a little scared. I got some pain in my life right now, but I still want you to use me. Once our comfort gets disrupted, we turn inwards. We become reservoirs of grace rather than conduits of grace. We clog ourselves up. But listen, y'all, the answer to a painful season has never been to ration or get clogged. It's been to become even more of a conduit of grace as he moves his life through us, okay? So the question I wanna pose to you today is this. Listen to this. What if the best way to experience the peace of God in your life was to become a conduit of peace in somebody else's life? to let them have an experience with the peace of God and the joy of God and the provision of God? What if your breakthrough today, this week even, was to be found in helping somebody else find their breakthrough? What if your miracle today was actually found in somebody else getting up and walking for the first time? What if? What if God wanted to do something in and through your life that was so much bigger and so much better than you could ever imagine? As a pastor, I have a fair number of people approaching me about their calling, right? What am I called to do? Where am I called to go? And those are great questions. But what if, what if God's call on your life wasn't as much about what you would do, where you would go, how much you would make? What if God's call on your life today was way more about who you invest in, about who you raised up, about who you imparted life to? As Pastor Peter has taught us so faithfully over the years, when we get to eternity and look back on our lives, we're probably not gonna be bragging about what we did or how much we made or where we traveled to. We're probably gonna be rejoicing much more over who we raised up and who we sent out, right? That will be your legacy. God, who are you asking me to reach in this moment and in this season? Lean in, press in, unclog the pipe, lean through the pain and just start serving. Just start investing in people. Start bringing your neighbors and coworkers and weird family to substance, right? Their lives will never be the same once they have experienced the love of God and you might just have your life change as well. This is revival. Revival is not goosebumps in a worship service. It's not warm feelings about God. Revival, literally think of the word, revive, to bring back life. There are people in your path that need the life of God, and you're the one that's gonna give it to them. Revival is the people of God living in the life of God every single day, spread out through this world, bringing life to where there is death and light to the darkness, right? When we focus on that influence, it's gonna grow. God adds his super to our natural. But if we're honest, a lot of the time when things get hard, we do lean out. We do sometimes quit. We do sometimes walk away from our calling like David Flood did. He walked away in a season of intense pain. So there's actually a part two to the story that I wanna finish with today. So Aggie has now discovered that her mom is basically a legend, right, in, in the Congo. That, that, that day was Zaire. But then she thought to herself, does my biological dad know any of this? I gotta go find him. I gotta find my dad. He's gotta know what God did. I mean, not only did he leave the Congo, but he left his faith, left his calling over Sophia's death. I gotta tell him, if he knew the whole story, she thought, maybe it would change everything for him. Well, she finally tracked down her dad. He was actually living back in Sweden with four adult children. Okay, the catch is uh, he was a miserable alcoholic who had hated God his entire life. And really, can you blame him? 
What a difficult thing to go through. But even still, Eggie pursued her dad. He wouldn't even let his adult children mention the name of God in his presence because the hurt and the pain and the trauma was so incredibly heavy. So she found him living alone with liquor bottles strewn all around his apartment. Yet the moment he realized who she was, that Aggie was his baby, his little Aggie, all the emotions about Sphia and that little mud hut and what God did in those moments all came flooding back to David with tears in his eyes. He said, Aggie, I never meant to abandon you. She hugged him and said, oh, Papa, don't worry. God took care of me. But the moment he met, she mentioned God, David tensed up and he said, yeah, but if God really cared, why did all of this happen? If God really cared, he would have taken care of us. And he said, Papa, listen to me, she said. He didn't abandon us. The truth is, you just didn't see the bigger picture of what God wanted to do. So she immediately told him about the movement that he and Sophia had started in that mud hut so many years ago. She told him about all the things they set in motion, the grocery boy, the school he started, the 600 villagers who gave their lives to Christ, the 110,000 believers who were baptized in that region. It was amazing. And in his tears, he quietly realized, man, God was really in it, wasn't he? I guess I quit too soon. I focused on all the wrong things. And hey, we've all been there, haven't we? Our focus gets diverted to all the wrong things and the pain and the frustration. And amidst all the tears and the emotion, this is the coolest thing. Little Aggie had the honor of leading her papa back to Jesus. They prayed together, they hugged, and only a few weeks later, David ended up passing away. He went to be with his Jesus and he went to be with his sweet Sphia in that moment. So listen, y'all, it's so easy to get stressed out, to get our gaze diverted from the mission and the beauty of God into all these things going on in our lives. Ironically, Eggie was a miracle child born in the wilderness, but David was so focused on the pain, he overlooked the miracle. He had hung his entire self-esteem on reaching this village, not knowing he had already reached the entire region simply by winning this little grocery boy to Christ. And that's the problem, isn't it? We've all got to learn how to get God's perspective. We won't always be able to make sense of the pain. I know that for sure. But we can enjoy the miracles along the way. We won't always be able to reach the whole village, but we can reach the one grocery boy. So who has God called you to today? And if you feel like today you've blown it in the past, maybe you've given up or walked out or, or pulled back, listen, God is still He's still waiting. If there's breath in your lungs today, God's not done with you. The call of God on your life is still available for you to, to walk into. And I think God is inviting some of us back today to say, I'm gonna walk back in. I'm gonna lean back in. He has uniquely gifted. He's positioned you to be a dealer of hope and faith in the world around you. God is setting you up, I believe, this fall substance for some of the greatest miracles we will ever see, right? We have to be willing to see it. So for some of you, it's gonna happen this week when you text that old friend. For others, it's gonna be when you finally join that small group that Pastor Chad has been bugging you about for three years, right? You're gonna join it and you're gonna find intimacy and authenticity and healing like you never thought possible. One thing's for sure. For many of us in this room, God is giving us a nudge right now. Would we be the church that listens, obeys, and watches miracles happen? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you're here. 
Thank you that you love setting up divine connections. And God, I pray for the person in this room right now who's racking their brain as we go home this week and we make lists and we prayerfully consider the people you've placed in our path. Holy Spirit, would you nudge us? Would you speak to us? Would you wake us up in the middle of the night with names on our hearts? Would you invade the middle of our day and our thoughts and our lunch break? Reach out to this person, text this person, invite this person to church. God, we are open to it. Would you use us? And for the one today, maybe you're here today and you're realizing I've stepped out, I've leaned back, I've walked away from the call of God on my life. I wanna pray for you. I invite you to repeat after me because we're gonna, in this moment, commit this fall and this year to say, God, I'm back. God, I'm moving forward. God, would you use me? So repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, thank you for creating me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me. I'm coming back to you. Would you fill me with your spirit and set me on mission? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Substance, let's watch God do the miraculous in our midst this fall. Let's be that church who mobilizes and becomes revival makers. At this time, I'm gonna invite our campus pastors to come on back up and share where we're gonna go with the rest of our service. Have a great week.